Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Sweetenberger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Sweetenberger for this week's message from Story Point Church. The title of the message today is The Not-So-Secret Secret, or The Secret That's Not Such a Secret, Right? And the reason for that is because sometimes some things are right in front of our face, but because they're right in front of our face, we're familiar with them, and because we're familiar with them, we forget them. But the secret to evangelism, the secret to sharing your faith, the secret to the gospel, the secret to God being uh, 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 made known to people, whether they're here, Guatemala, China, India, the secret is very simple. The secret is this. It is not you who leads anyone to faith in Jesus Christ. It is God who leads them to faith through the human agent. So I said it the other day, I said, you know, the work of, uh, the work of, of evangelism is about 95% God and about 5% you and me. But you see, for years and years and years, I have taught that if you don't go, people will go to hell. If you don't share the gospel, your neighbor will never hear. And I just don't believe that's true anymore. I don't believe I can defend that scripturally. Because what I know about God is this, when God is chasing after someone and when they're going to receive the gospel, if I don't go, God is going to send somebody else. I think if you, if you look at the book of Esther, you find this to be true, right? You were raised for such a time as this, but don't worry about it. If you ain't going to go, God will raise somebody else up. I don't believe we are that important to the gospel that all of eternity for somebody in the world is resting on our shoulders. And thank God for it. Amen? Aren't you glad that you cannot send anyone to hell? Your disobedience or my disobedience will not cause someone to go to hell. What it will cause is for God to send somebody else and you and I will lose the reward and the blessing in our disobedience. But God is going to do what God wants to do. It's simply that He invites us to be a part. Many times in church history, God has had to raise somebody else up to do the things that the people of God would not do. And so my hope and my prayer for you and for me is that we get into God's uh, uh, plan. Is that we, we grab a, a hold of God's purpose and we recognize that although God doesn't have to have us. He wants to have us, and He extends the opportunity to have us, and that pulls the weight off of our shoulders and puts it squarely on the shoulders of Jesus. And it also says that the, the excuse of, well, I don't want to mess up, so I'm going to do nothing, is now washed away. Because God does more through people who mess up than He does through people who do nothing. I can't remember the preacher who said it, Spurgeon or, or somebody like that. He said, uh, before you critica- criticize what that other person's doing too much, I like what they're doing more than I like what you're not doing. Think about it. We oftentimes like to criticize somebody else because they're not doing it the way we would do it, yet we're not doing anything. So isn't it better for someone to do something for, than for us to do nothing? Y'all with me? 
And so I'm not, you know, don't read too much into that statement. We also, we should be critical of some things. We should be cautious of some things. But the point is this. We sometimes don't do anything because we're afraid we're going to mess it up. And I don't think God is worried so much about us messing up because God is the one who's responsible. In fact, I think this passage clearly shows it. In John chapter 1, starting in verse 43, the scripture says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. The simplicity of that. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from a town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. There's so much in this text. It's such a a beautiful text because what's going on here is God is revealing His plan for, for, for drawing men and women to Christ. Now, sometimes God invites a person to Himself and nobody else is involved. Now, I say that is rare that that happens. But sometimes God uses only His Word or He uses only a film, or he uses only something in nature to draw a person to himself. When it comes to Philip, the Bible says that the next day Jesus left for Galilee and he found Philip. When he found Philip, he said, follow me. Now listen, we, sometimes our phrases and our words, they mean, we mean well, but they're just not biblically accurate. We might say, I found Jesus. But nobody finds Jesus. Jesus finds us. And it just so happens that when he finds us, we recognize, oh, there he is. Do you see this? What is the, turn, put the verse of the week back up here, please. John chapter 6. Is there somebody at the computer? Yeah. Y'all read this with me again, will you? No one can come to, the, to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. Who's doing the work here? Who is it? It's the Father. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. So it's Jesus who finds us. And we just have to recognize, oh, that's Jesus. So when it comes to Philip, Philip was, was, was approached by Jesus, and Jesus said, follow me. Now, the next verse, we have Philip doing something. That's all we get for Philip's conversion. So, so why is that all we get? Well, because Philip was already searching for Jesus. He was, or, or he already had a softened heart. We know this because of the next couple of verses. But he already had a, an understanding of the Scripture. He just hadn't put all the pieces together. And so when he saw Jesus, he goes, Ah, oh, yes, you're the one. It was, it, I don't want to say easy belief, but it was a, a very short distance from what he knew about the Old Testament to Jesus is the Messiah. And it was, it, it's, it's the kind of person who you and I like to see because it's easy to... Again, our phraseology, how else we say it, it's easy to lead this person to Jesus because they're ripe, they're ready. You just go over and go, right? 
I mean, those are the kinds we want, right? But now others, they're a little more difficult. Here's what God did. Jesus approached Philip, Philip, follow me. And when he started following him, the first thing he did was what? He went to Nathanael. And he said, Nathanael, I have found the one. Uh, uh, but, 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 let me find it here. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So before he went to seminary, before he had evangelism training, before he was discipled, before he even knew a whole lot about Jesus, the first thing he did was go tell Nathaniel about Jesus. And here's the beautiful part about this passage. He got the details wrong. That ought to bring us comfort. He got it wrong. How did he get it wrong? He said, I found, now this was the right part. We found the one that Moses spoke about in the law. That ought to put bells in your head. That Jesus is not a creation of the New Testament. Jesus didn't just come on the scene in the New Testament. Jesus is the center of all of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. It is all about Jesus. Moses taught about Jesus in and through the law. And it was recognized by Philip. And so Philip tells Nathaniel, hey, we found the one that the scriptures have talked about and have promised is, is coming. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is where he got it wrong. He got the details wrong. You say, well, well I thought Jesus was from Nazareth. No, where was, from Jesus, where was Jesus from? From Bethlehem. And Jesus was Joseph's son, but really he was who? He was the son of God. Now, why I like this distinction in Scripture is for this. Even when we get some of the details wrong, or even when we get some of the, some of the conversation wrong, even when we don't know exactly what to say, God is still at work. And God will take your effort and use that effort to help turn someone's heart to the Father. And so for us to say, well, until I get it all right, until I figure it out, until I know exactly how to do it, then I'm going to start is to say, until I know how to catch fish, I'm not going to go fishing. Which again is kind of silly because the, you know how you learn to catch fish all the time? You actually fish. There's a huge difference between people who fish once a year, twice a year, and people who fish once a week. People who fish once a year or twice a year, they literally, unless they get incredibly lucky, will go out and come back with this story. Man, I just can't catch anything. And those who fish once a week, every time they go fishing, they come back with fish. Not every time. You're one of those not catchers, aren't you? You're the once a year. Okay. But, but here's the thing, because I get this. The people who, who, who fish once or twice a year never catch anything. They always complain because they don't know how to fish. And those who actually fish say, look, stop complaining and what? Start fishing. If you start fishing, you will catch fish. It's that simple. So Philip got the details wrong. Now, they weren't entirely wrong. They just weren't perfectly right. But because the, he got the details somewhat wrong, guess what? Nathaniel threw up a roadblock. 
He said, look, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Let me, let me rephrase that for us. I'm not sure I'm going to want to believe in this guy if he's from Nazareth. I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I've been to Nazareth, and I just, I'm not too impressed with their, with, 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 with the people they're, they're sending out. You know, nobody famous, nobody popular, nobody in, in the movies. I mean, they're just, they're just, they're, they're, they're Nazarethites, right? And the response of Philip is the response that you and I need to learn to have. Instead of arguing, instead of Philip arguing with Nathaniel about how, no, no, really, something good can come out of Nazareth, Nazareth and spend all that time working on that defense, you know what he said? What did he say? Three words. Come and see. Just come and see. I think this gives us a plan and a pattern for how we talk about Jesus. Number one, we don't wait till we get it all right in order to do it. We actually get it right as we do it. Number two, we have to trust that even when we don't get it all right, God is still sovereign and is God, God is still able to overcome our deficiencies and do something marvelous through it. And the third thing is this, even when we don't get it right, we don't have to try to defend that. We just have to say, look, I'm just, I'm just trying to be obedient to Jesus. Because 95%, that's an arbitrary number, but 95% of the work of someone coming to faith in Christ is God pursuing them. 5% is you and I being the human face of Jesus. Why is it that we are the human face of Jesus? Why is it that God sends people to, if, if God is already at work, then why is, why is he going to send you or me to somebody? Because have you ever heard, felt like you heard God speak to you and, 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 and you, were, you were like sure that it was God, but you were also questioning, well, is this just me in my head? How do I know this is, how do I know this is really God? How do I know it's not just the bad pizza I ate last night and it's causing me to have weird dreams, right? You ever had that happen? You were really wondering, is it God or not? And then the next day, God sends somebody your way and they say something and what they say is exactly what God has spoken to you. And, and, and when they do that, you go, oh, God spoke to me. You ever had that happen? Why? Why not just believe when God says you, speaks to you? Because we are wired as human beings to relate to human beings. We're wired to, to seeing and to hearing from somebody who looks like us and somebody who sounds like us. That's not wrong. That's human nature. And because we're humans, God says, the way I'm going to reach the world is by reaching humans who will reach humans. That is my plan. I mentioned it last week a little bit that, that for far too long, the plan of the church is that you bring your friends to church, and when they come to church, they'll hear the gospel, they'll get saved, they'll get discipled, and we will make them into fishers of men. And that is not what Jesus said. Amen? If we're waiting on this meeting to reach our city, our city will not be reached. I don't care how cool we are. But the gospel doesn't work that way. I'm not degrading the value of preaching. I'm not degrading the value of being here. There needs to be preaching. It's biblical. We need to be gathering together. That's biblical. But this is not primarily an evangelistic time. This is a gathering of the saints. 
This is a time where we come together and, and with one voice we worship the God who is worthy. And because we worship the God who is worthy, we worship not only through song, but through prayer. We worship through fellowship with each other. We worship through the Word of God. But all of that worship is to compel us to an even higher form of worship. Now, I believe if God were to list forms or avenues of worship in importance or in order of what he, he, he desires the most and then what He desires the least. I believe the highest form of worship is when we tell someone else how to be part of the kingdom of God. Let me say it a little differently. When we extend the invitation into God's family, when we do that, that is your highest form of worship. Why would I say that? Well, because Jesus said there's, there's ten commandments, but there's two commandments that really encapsulate them all. The first one is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Well, that's actually the Shema, but uh, it's to love God, right? The second is, un, is like it, and which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. What is it possible that you and I could do that is more loving to God than inviting someone else not in the family to be a part of the family? What could we do that's more a demonstration of love? Because after all, what is the heart and character of God? He is a what? He's a God who rescues. He's a God who delivers. He's a God who saves. He's a God who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He's the God who has a, has a giant feast and invites those to come in. And when they won't come in, he says, look, go to the highways and the byways. Go to the alleys and go to the beggars and go to the edges and invite them to come in that my house may be full, right? So if that's number one on God's heart, if you and I are talking about Jesus and inviting people into His family, that is the highest form of love we could possibly offer to God. He would rather have us invite people into the family than sing songs of praise. He would rather have us invite people into the family than come on Sunday morning. Now don't take that to the farthest extreme because it's not an either or. I'm simply saying... If The converse of that is, if we are not inviting people into the family, we are not truly loving God. And I'll say it even more. If we are not inviting people into the family, we are not His disciples. Because Jesus said, follow me, be my disciple, and I will, what? Make you fishers of men. Part of being in the family is inviting people to the family. But you know what? We like to close the thing. We like, we like things just as we are. We, we, don't want, we don't want people to mess up what we got. That's human nature. But you see, God's family is big and it's wide and it extends to all people. One of the most beautiful things I think on the planet is when you have a church that is multi-ethnic, multi-generational. I, I dream of a day when we can have every color uh, on the spectrum rep represented in the pews. And I dream of a day when it's not just, just a few speckles 
But it's like, truly, you could not say it's a white church, it's a Chinese church, it's a Latino church, it's a black church. You, you, you couldn't use that phrase because you go, well, we're so evenly distributed when it comes to, to ethnicities that we're just the church. Amen? Wouldn't you love to see that? Now, there's a practical matter here. We live in Gulf Breeze, who primarily is, is, is one particular ethnicity, but that doesn't change our heart and our desire and our passion for it, right? And when I talk ethnicity, I'm not just talking about color. I'm talking about culture, too. How amazing, the, 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 mo the most beautiful churches are the churches that have multiple cultures represented. Why? Because that best reflects the true kingdom of God. It best reflects the family that God has put together. Not just culture, but, eth but, but age. When you have the little ones, and you have the middle ones, and you have the, the older ones, and you have the really old ones. You're welcome. <laughs> you are a token old guy, right? I'm just kidding. Let me tell you. A church that doesn't regard the aged as a blessing is a church that does not understand the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, again, we're humans. We have all these barriers, and there's all kinds of reasons that some of these things don't flesh out like we have a dream and a passion for them. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, just because it's difficult doesn't mean that we don't move towards the kingdom of God being represented in our fellowship as the kingdom of God truly is represented. So it doesn't mean that we actually have to, to, to necessarily do it. It means that as God leads and as God provides, our hearts are open for diversity and how beautiful it would be. Now, Nathaniel heard, even with, a, with an opposition, he heard what Philip said. Philip said, just come and see. And so the next verse in Scripture, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. So Jesus spoke to Nathanael, and what he said was, here is an Israelite of Israelites. Now, what does that mean? It means that Nathaniel had a, had a heart to be faithfully, to, to be a faithful member of God's family. He wanted to be a, a, a person who genuinely followed God. He had a hunger and a thirst for, for, for being right with God. He just didn't know how to do it. And for Jesus to say, I see your heart and I know that you're longing for a relationship with God your father, the father of your fathers, the father of, of, uh, of Abraham or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? He said, because I see that, I'm here to tell you that I'm the one you're searching for. Now, here's why I think this is so important for us. Because every single day, probably with few exceptions... If we wake up with the desire to see people the way God sees them, to have ears that hear people the way God hears them, if we have a kingdom focus and a kingdom mindset when we wake up, and as, as we walk through the day, we're taking the steps that Jesus would have us to take, and we're intentionally 
asking God to lead us into conversations and lead us into opportunities to invite people into His family, if that is our heart, God will put people in our path and put us in their path whom He's already working on. This is the best part about this passage, maybe. You see, we sometimes think that that awkward conversation is awkward because they're starting from a zero point. Like, like we're going to start a spiritual conversation with somebody and it's going to be like take them out of their, like, whoa, where did that come from? But more times than not, God has already set the stage. He's already prepared the meal. He's already loosened the wheels. He's already done whatever phrase you want to use. And all God is waiting for is that last 5% of you or me going and saying, I want to be the face of Jesus to you to help make sense of what God is already doing inside of your heart. How, how marvelous is it that God would go, you know what? I choose you to go. And I choose you to go. And I choose you to go. And I choose you. And don't be afraid of what you're going to say. I'm already, I've already done the work. You just go and, and, and enjoy it. Listen to this. He says to Nathaniel, I saw you. Or he says to him, you are a true Israelite. And then Nathaniel said, how do you know me? Right? They're like, what are you talking about, Willis? Right? He's, he's going, I'm not so sure that, 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 that this is getting uncomfortable. What do you mean? What do you mean you, you, you know me? Here's what Jesus said. He said, I saw you while you were underneath a fig tree, a very specific event in Nathaniel's life. Jesus said, I've seen you under the fig tree before Philip ever came to you. Now, I have a love-hate with this part of the text. The love part is there's a mystery, and it means that I get to make stuff up. I get to, I get to pretend what was going on, right? That's our liberty. Because we're not told, so we get, to, we get to pretend. I have a hate because I'd really rather just know. But you, let, let, me, let, me, let me jump into a little mini-sermon here, okay? Stop trying to figure everything out. Stop trying to control everything. Stop, stop taking the stance that in, until you got it all worked out, you're not going to move. There's a mystery about the gospel that will always be a mystery until you see Jesus face to face. Amen? Y'all asleep? Right? There's a mystery. The gospel is, is, is eternal. It's bigger than us. And so we see with, 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 with our own human eyes, but the closer we get to Jesus, the more we can see. But at the end of the day, we're not going to see everything until we're with him face to face. So we've got to recognize that there's a mystery there. And in the mystery, we need to just enjoy it. Being okay not knowing. There's a lot of things in Scripture that I wish I could pinpoint and nail down. And I just have to go, well, I don't understand. I'm just going to do the best I can do with what I got. So that was a side sermon. So he comes over and... And, and, and he, he says, I, see, I saw you while you were under the fig tree. What was he doing under the fig tree is what I want to know. Let, let, let's, 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 let's come up with some scenarios, shall, shall we? What do you think? What was he doing under the fig tree? Sleeping. How many of y'all think sleeping? I really think that that's what I would do under a fig tree. Because after all, it would give you some shade. It would be a nice sleeping. Okay, what else? What would you say? 
Okay, just getting some shade. He was just resting. Maybe he was complaining. Maybe he was under the fig tree complaining, right? By the way, I'm going to tell you a story in a second about that. And uh, I think you're going to think I'm an idiot. But um, what, what did you say? Somebody else? Eating figs. <laughs> the most obvious answer oftentimes is the most obvious answer. He was probably eating figs, right? All right, what else? What did you say? Praying? You know what? I think that that's what he was doing. I think he was wrestling with life's questions. And I think that he was probably saying, you know, I've been following the Old Testament. I've read Moses and I've, I've been searching for the Messiah. And why hasn't he come yet? Where is the Messiah that was promised? I think, I think that that's what he was doing. And I think when Jesus said, I saw you while you're under the fig tree, Nathaniel says, whoa. That's the answer to what I was just praying for. Can I just tell you that all throughout our city, all throughout your daily travels, there are people asking questions of God. And if you will simply step forward and open your mouth at a great risk even of being wrong, God is going to answer some people's eternal questions through you And you won't have any idea that they were asking those questions until afterwards that they say, that's exactly what I was asking God for. I want to tell you two little stories. So I told, I've mentioned this before, I think, but um, in case you haven't heard it. So when I was in uh, finishing seminary, my wife and I were living in uh, Tickfall, uh, Louisiana. Tickfall's next to Albany and Albany's next to... um, Hammond, and so we're in this little country town. So I drove to Walmart late at night, midnight, one o'clock, something like that. I drove to, to town to the Walmart to get some boxes so I could finish packing the house because we were moving. And I walked in, and I got these two buggies full of boxes. Ironically enough, they were liquor boxes. It's always kind of funny when you, when you pack, and the, only bo- the best boxes are liquor boxes. So it means nothing to you unless you're a Baptist preacher, but trust me, it's, it's an issue, okay? So uh, I got all these boxes in the carts, and I was pushing them out the doors. And as I was pushing them out, I looked to my left, and there was a guy sitting on top of one of those metal boxes that hold the newspapers. You put a quarter in, you get a new, right? He was sitting on top of that, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, Jeff, I want you to share the gospel. And my response, of course, was very, very holy and very spiritual. Lord, I am not sharing the gospel. I got stuff to pack. So I just walked on by. And then I started making every excuse that we like to make. Oh, he's not interested because he looked kind of rough, right? He, he, he didn't want to hear it. You know, he's, he's not a spiritual guy, blah, 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 blah. I got to my truck and the Lord still hadn't let up. I want you to go share the gospel. I put the boxes in my truck. I moved the carts over to the side. I got in, I started, and I started to back up. And as loud as the Lord could possibly speak, he almost chastised me by saying, I told you to share the gospel. So... I said, fine. Got a little attitude with God. You ever do that? Got a little attitude. And so I threw it back in drive, pulled back into space, put it in park. I got out, slammed the door, and I marched up. And I was going to share the gospel. Okay, God, I'm going to do it. I mean, I know I'm an idiot. But I walked up. He's sitting on the thing. I walked up, and this was 20-something years ago. I said to him, I said something to the effect of, so God told me I needed to ask you if you know Jesus. Something like that. And he looked at me and he said, 
did my grandma send you? <laughs> no joke. I go, I don't think I know your grandma. Why? He goes, man, when I left the house today, my grandmother told me she is praying that God would send somebody to me to talk about Jesus. And I said, well, here's how you can be saved. About two or three minutes sitting on the newspaper thing, he prayed and asked Jesus into his life. So I started walking back to the truck. <laughs> yeah, woo! Look what just happened. It is so funny because God goes, whoa, you get nothing out of this one. You were disobedient and you tried your hardest not to say anything. I go, okay, lesson learned. And, and I try, and I still try, to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit when it comes to sharing the gospel. Now, the hardest part about that is finding the boldness to open a conversation. Because it's a little awkward, right? It's a little weird sometimes. But here's what I've discovered, and I'm discovering. Talking about Jesus is not nearly as awkward to everybody else as it is to us. We make it into something that it's not. Because we assume that they don't want to hear. But let me just let you in on a secret that's not so much of a secret. If God prompts you to tell somebody about Jesus, they're already primed to hear. He's already seen them praying or doing whatever they were doing under the fig tree. He's already at work in their life. So if you get a prompting to talk about Jesus, you can feel confident that whatever you say, God is going to use either in that moment or somewhere down the line. You see, sometimes we're just the instigator. Sometimes we're the disruptor. Sometimes we're the one who just moves them to start thinking. We don't know where we are in that ladder. We don't know what part we have. We want to be the one that leads them to pray, the, 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 uh, uh, to receive the gospel. But God may just be using us either to plant a seed or to water. But regardless, whatever God wants to use us for is good enough. Amen? And do you want to know why people aren't being saved today? Because God is waiting for His people to start talking. He's already working. He's already moving. I would say it this way. There's not enough people who talk about Jesus to meet all of the needs for those who need to hear about Jesus. I'm not going to tell you about recent polls and studies, but the numbers are horrible. The number of people that actually say something about Jesus is like hardly anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying that God's plan is you. And me. And instead of looking at it as a chore and as a drudgery, it's an opportunity for God to use us. You ever been used by God for something eternal? You know, do you remember what it feels like for God to speak through you? Do you remember the, the validation of your own faith that you get when you know that God sent you to a point in, a t in time, to a person in time, and they were ready to hear what you... Do you remember what that feels like? What if I told you you could feel that every single day? It's better than any other high you will get. 
I'm not talking about this kind of high. I'm talking about, you know, any type of joy high, right? It's better than anything else. Nothing on the planet compares. So that was one of my, my successes. Let me tell you about one of my failures. I was in Montana, and I was, I was on my way to the, to the place in the northwest corner. It was late at night. I was heading to meet a friend at a hotel. We were going we to stay and then go the rest of the trip the, the next day. About 10.30 at night, I was hungry, and, and I don't know if you know this, but there's not a whole lot of places to stop in Montana. Uh, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty widespread, yeah, yeah. There's humans there, but they're just hard to find. Um, so I finally found an exit late at night that had a McDonald's. So I said, well, McDonald's is better than starving. Mm, kind of barely close, but I'm hungry, so... So I pulled in, and I went in, I ordered a Big Mac, and, and it was actually, it was excellent. I mean, it was just, actually, it was a quarter pounder, to be truthful. It was, it was, I literally said, wow, I take back all the negative, nasty things I've said about McDonald's. This one got it right. It was good. So I packed the stuff up, I threw it away, and I walked out. And when I walked out, to the left of the door was the manager. She was standing there, smoking a cigarette, kind of, not really pacing, but, but I had this sense that the Lord said, She's wrestling with her image. She's wrestling with her worth, her value. Go tell her that I love her. And so, of course, being the obedient guy that I was, I got in my car and I drove away. <laughs> and I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying, I, 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 I totally disagree. And here's what I was thinking. She's going to think this idiot is trying to tell her something about self-image. What if I get it wrong? Now, th- listen to what I just said. She's going to think that I'm strange. What if I get it wrong? Who is that about? That is not loving God and that is not loving her. I thought about turning around, but in Montana, they don't give you too many options. <laughs> like a hundred miles later, I had an accident. Like a... So playing that through my mind, here's what I would have done different. Here's what I will do different. Ma'am, I just feel like God wants me to tell you that you have extreme value and worth to Him. And He loves you passionately. And He wants a relationship with you. Have you ever come to know Christ? And what it dawned on me is, as believers, we have the right to speak boldly to people. We have the right to speak into people's lives what they already know, but nobody has said out loud. We have the obligation to do so. Now let's play this through. What if I was wrong? Then she has heard that God values her and loves her. So if I'm wrong, what has been lost? She thinks I'm an idiot. That's okay. I don't live in Montana, and I'm never eating at that McDonald's again, probably for the rest of my life, right? So why would I be worried about getting it wrong? But what if I get it right? What if God was already working in her, which I think He was? And what if all she needed was a human contact to validate what God has been saying? And I get to see a person who God loves have... Have a, have a moment where God says, you have been known by name. I've seen you underneath the fig tree. Can I just say to you something? 
we sometimes wrestle with whether or not we should say something or should not say something. Let me just make it easy for you, okay? Every time you have the urge to talk about Jesus, do it because it is God. Every time. How do I know that? Well, it's never going to be Satan. He's never going to go, oh, my plan today is to trick you into talking about Jesus. He's never going to do it. Let's just think about that. Why would he? Because isn't the name of Jesus powerful? He's not going to tell you to talk about Jesus. He's going to tell you to talk about everything else, but not Jesus. Okay, so we can take the devil out. He's not the one leading you. So it's me. I'm telling myself, talk to Jesus. Hello? Have you heard my stories? Right? You're never going to convince yourself to talk about Jesus. That's never going to be something that you just out of the blue go, oh, I think I'll do this today. No. If you have a leading, it is God. So here's what we do. We feel this, 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 this sense of God saying, I want you to talk about Jesus. The first question we ask ourselves is, what do I say? So we ask God, okay, Lord, I'm willing. What do I say? And if we get something, we go with it. The first thing that comes to mind, go with it. No matter what it is, go with it. Sometimes God's... God, Y'all okay with this? Sometimes God is going to use something that is, that is gentle and kind and soft and just ease on in. And sometimes it's going to be direct and in your face. But I can promise you this. God is never wrong. I am sometimes, but I would much rather fail in faithfulness than fail in disobedience. I would much rather have to go back to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. I thought I heard you right, and I, I guess I didn't. Then, Lord, I heard you, but I just said no. Which one of those is a better option? So, God says, share with this person. Take just a moment and ask Him, Lord, give me wisdom to know what to say. By the way, I recommend that you have a few things already prepared. Come up with a few opening lines, if you will. I'm working on that for some things that I can share with you, but just come up with a few options, but maybe it's just there's a worth issue, there's a value issue, there's a, there's a loneliness issue. It's not an awful thing to say, you know, I, I don't mean to pry, but I just feel like maybe you're, you're struggling with, with loneliness. And I want to tell you that there's a God who knows you, Right? What's the worst that could happen? So, I don't hear, I didn't hear that. <laughs> Probably funny though. So, he says to Nathaniel, I saw you. And Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. God is already at work. He's simply asking us to join him. In this book, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? Jesus would spend his days inviting people into the family of God. That's what he did. That's what he still does. But instead of him being here to do it himself, he has an army of people like you and like me. One of the things I skipped over is the scripture says that Philip was from Bethsaida, just like the other disciples. That was a little fishing village. 
I want you to think of how ironic it would be that the God of the universe would come to seek and to save the lost and His number one plan was to go to a fishing village and say, all right, guys, you are the chosen ones. You are my A-team. You are the ones who are going to carry on my mission to the ends of the earth. They're sitting there with their nets going, okay. So where does this hit you today? Question, have you been obedient? Were you obedient the last time God gave you the urge or the nudge to share the gospel? Were you obedient? Could be a grocery store. Could be a Chick-fil-A. Yeah, not, no, everybody saved Chick-fil-A. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Could be a gas station. You could be driving down the road and you see somebody walking and God says, stop and speak to them. Can I just tell you how fun your life will be when you start living moment by moment? Lord, I'm yours. Send me to whom you want to send me. You will hear stories that you will never find anywhere else. You will be the one who says, man, today was awesome. God, let, God had me talk to a manager of a McDonald's and she came to faith in Christ. Oh, you're so good. As opposed to, man, today was horrible. Man, today I just had to work. Work is just how you pay the bills. Your mission in life is to invite people into the family of God. Next week, I'm going to ask you to commit to inviting people to the family of God. I'm going to introduce you to 321. I'm going to ask you to pray for three people every single day, the same three people. I'm going to ask you to plead for their souls every day. I'll talk more about that next week. I'm going to ask you every single week to invite two people to worship with you. Just two people. Do you know that the number of people who, who claim Christianity in our country, do you know what, do you know what percentage it is? Now, I'm talking, when I say Christianity, I, I mean anything that's remotely related to the name. What, what number do you think it is percentage-wise in our country? 65%. 24%, I think it's 24, 27, are unaffiliated, period, with religion. The numbers are dropping. For the first time ever, there are more people who only attend once or twice a year or not at all a local church. 54% versus about 48% who say they go once a week or more. The tides have changed. Now that's just a picture. But the truth is, God is at, our, God is at work in people's lives. It's the people of God who aren't being the face of Jesus to them. Let's change that, shall we? Let's change that. All right, so this morning, if you're here and you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it is by grace that you're saved through faith, not of works. You cannot earn it. You don't deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that we are condemned because of our sin. Our sin separates us from God. There is a wide gap between Him and us. 
But the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that if you will believe in Him, you will not perish, you'll have everlasting life. What that means is God will make, make a, God has, has, has built a bridge between Himself and us, and that bridge is the cross. And that means that He pulls us into His family, and He saves us. He rescues us. He makes us makes us righteous because it's the righteousness of Christ Jesus. That means He covers our sin and He takes them away so that we can be made right with God. I want to invite you right now to trust Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you now just to begin praying that anybody in this room who doesn't know Christ Jesus would not only hear God's voice, but would respond to His voice. Even now, if you're in this place and you haven't trusted Christ Jesus, maybe you've said a prayer at some point in your life, but you've never fully surrendered your heart to Him, will you give your life to Him? Say to Him, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know my sin separates me from You, but I trust You. I don't understand it all and I haven't figured it all out, but I trust you to save me. I believe you came and lived and died. I believe you were buried and rose again. I ask you to save me. Make me a child. This morning, if you have offered that prayer to God, I want to invite you to make that now. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. If you pray to receive Christ Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come and just say to me, Jeff, I've trusted Christ. This morning, if there's, if there's disobedience in your life, if you know Him and you just haven't been following Him, I want to invite you to, to just say to Him, God, I'm this far, but I want to shorten that gap through repentance and through faith. God has led you to make this your church home. I want to invite you to do that. Will you simply stand with me? As you stand, let me ask God, Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for your people. Thank you.